Welcome back to another Sound Truth interview. I'm your host, Adam Miller, and today I'm excited to be joined by a pastor here in New England. His name is Eric Raymond, and he's written a book called He Is Not Ashamed, The Staggering Love of Christ for His People. Uh, I've read through this book. It's actually really interesting and encouraging, a reminder of, of the gospel principle of God's love towards us, that we're, we were sinners that God has saved us while we were still enemies, that Christ would die for us. And that ought to reflect in how we think of and treat one another, if we want to live out that same gospel principle. So it's a real joy to read through this book, but one that I am excited to share with you, our listeners. So, Eric, thank you so much for being a part of the many voices for that one message. You bet, Adam. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Why don't you get started by telling us a little bit about yourself and the sort of background that you had leading into this book in particular. Uh, what motivated you to kind of do this study and put it together? Yeah, so uh, I didn't grow up a, as a Christian, so I'm a pastor now. So obviously, uh, at one point in my life, uh, I was introduced to Christ through the Word. And so uh, the first time I heard the gospel, it was it was the most refreshing and staggering thing that I ever heard. I, I I couldn't believe it. I wanted to believe it, but I had a hard time believing it because it seemed like exactly what I needed to hear. Um, but it was too good to be true. I kept looking for a fine print. And and then just by reading the Bible and talking with a, a Christian brother who just shared the gospel with me and then eventually believed, I just kept running over the, pouring over the passages in Scripture, just looking at the way Jesus looks at his people and had a real hard time uh, just embracing that, grasping that. Like it almost still seemed too good to be true. I, I think I had it technically speaking, understood the mechanics of conversion and believed that I was really a Christian. But as far as like how to get my mind around how Jesus loves his people, that was something that I just continued just to, to work to try to get into my heart and make it be mine. Um, and so then I think just meeting other Christians over the years and trying to, and non-Christians, trying to talk to them about Jesus and his love and the gospel. And of course, being a pastor, trying to teach that on a regular basis, just explaining to people and convincing people, persuading them that God loves them in Christ. And so I wanted to write the book uh, to help to show uh, the heart of Christ towards his people, how he looks at us, even that we might look at ourselves one way, the way Christ looks at us is actually quite different oftentimes. Hmm. I think it's a unique perspective. I grew up in the church, and, and I never had this experience where I never didn't feel that God loved me. And, I, you know, my dad was a pastor, so it was one of those that I approached, I think, from a different angle, where I was assumed God's love for me, and I didn't yeah. really— this didn't come to me as a conclusion until much later when I started to realize there's so much friction in the church. There's so many people that don't get along. But you came in from a different perspective, and that's rather unique perspective to bring to this mindset. You were struggling with that personally, considering how God could could love you. Yeah, I think I I couldn't. I mean, I, you know, maybe a, a vivid word picture, but I couldn't get the stench of my sin out of my nostrils, mm -hmm. and. The thought of, I mean, it's like uh, you just you just feel you know you're a sinner, you know who you are, and the thought that that this God who's so holy would essentially through the gospel give you a hug and welcome you and not not take his arm off your shoulder, uh, that that was staggering. So I think it's just it's, and I still think I have a hard time believing that, grappling with it, um, and I and I, and then there's the other side for those who would have grown up in a church too. I mean, it's. It's the other thing that like he he loves you despite how 
you're not necessarily as bad as everyone else. And then at the same time, you're not as good as you should be. So it's like, regardless of what end you come in on or what side you, what side of the um, side of the fence you jump over, you still need to be on Christ and realize how much he loves you despite your imperfection. And you mentioned as well that you're a pastor and you're a pastor here in the New England area, which we love absolutely yeah. uh, there in Watertown, uh, Church of the Redeemer, uh, Redeemer Fellowship, sorry. But this is a, um, this is something you've learned as a pastor as well, because it's one thing to get saved and brought into the family, as uh, my predecessor used to say, to be above with the saints we love, now that would be glory, but to live below with the saints we know, that's another story. Uh, to actually be and interact with people and learning to love others as Christ loved us, uh, there, therein lies a lot of the challenge, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, because we, we end up having very low patience with uh with other people because they're imperfect and we contribute to that with our own imperfections uh sinfulness selfishness you know james talks about what causes quarrels among you is it not your desires that wage war right so this selfishness desire this desire for supremacy and why doesn't everyone else recognize that right or at least give me the benefit of the doubt make me be the one that gets to go first uh and that's just the way and it just becomes a struggle and we don't realize that we really should come to not only come to Christ, but to come to one another with humility, like Paul says, to submit to one another out of that relationship to Christ that actually demonstrates deference hmm. and love. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about how you structured this book, because you, you fill it with a lot of stories, in particular with Christ and his interaction with people, but more stories than that. How did you go about structuring the stories of this book and putting them together? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, because I think, just in my mind, I tend to think um, I love stories. I think that they're very helpful for communicating, but I also like systematic theology and like kind of grabbing a, a particular thread and pulling on that. So initially I was thinking of just taking a concept and pushing the concept and not necessarily going with the stories. And then I was thinking, well, actually the stories make the concept pop more than uh, just writing on that. So uh, there's so many stories in the Bible, obviously, right? We read whether it's history or just the narrative interactions, and those are arranged by God intentionally. And so the not only the, the text is inspired, but the, the way that he lays it out and gives it to us. And there's no accidents is what I'm trying to say. So I just wanted to try to to identify some particular types of people that Jesus is not ashamed of and then group them with some stories that I thought would illustrate that that point well and there's lots of stories to illustrate these you know six or seven chapters uh seven chapters so i think i think i was just trying to find stories that would what people would resonate with that they would they could look in the mirror of the narrative and say yeah i see i look like that guy or i see i look like that woman or that young man so that's what i was just trying to do and I think that's what's so important is that we can all kind of find ourselves in these stories. But I think within the the kind of trope of of Western modern Christianity is this mindset, well, Jesus fellowshiped with sinners. He hung out with uh, prostitutes and tax collectors. And that's what we kind of leave it at in this idea. There's much more to that story, isn't there? I mean, that's obviously some of those components or those stories itself, but there's much more. It's not just this passive way for us to say, I don't actually have to live a, a holy life or I don't have to worry about sin because Jesus uh, hung out with prostitutes and tax collectors. So, I'm good. Yeah, I think, I mean, one of the, he definitely didn't go to congratulate them on their depravity, right? He went to conf, co confront sin 
and convert them to be part of his kingdom and rescue them from the darkness. So definitely he was not given a free pass to sin. He hates sin so much he died for it, right? So there's, we, can't, we can't get that twisted there. But the same token, he doesn't leave people in that place. He pursues them. The incarnation is a, is a declaration that God loves sinners and he's coming to get us from our sin and to rescue us. So uh, I think, yeah, the, we think of maybe the prostitute, the tax collectors, those types. But, I mean, what about all the religious people that he sent his disciples to in Acts chapter 2? You know, the people that just killed him. He sends them to the Jews and tells them to stop preaching the gospel in Jerusalem. I mean, there's a reason for that. He wants to he wants to rescue those self-righteous Jews that, that put him on the cross. So, and then he goes and he goes to the Gentiles, right? So it just, it doesn't matter who we're talking about here. We all have a sin problem, and God loves to pursue sinners and rescue them. And that's the kind of important principle, and that's what you do with this book, is that we can very easily read through the Bible and just see the other people. And if we're doing that, yeah. we're only seeing the people on the other side of the aisle, then, and we're not seeing ourselves, and we're really not seeing the, the true gospel message. Yeah, that's, that's a problem of our day, isn't it? I mean, just always everybody else in the feigned outrage. And yeah, I think you're exactly right. We've got we to be able to, to see our reflection in the, in the mirror. Yeah. Hmm. Now, why is this such an important topic to cover, especially when uh, we're, we're pretty familiar with a lot of these stories? We, we understand these things, and we get the gospel. It's, it's you know, that's, that's basic entry-level Christianity. Why is this so important to review and revisit? Yeah, I think that's a great question, Adam. I think we get the gospel, but I don't know if the gospel gets us in the sense mm. of that. I don't know if it really gets in, right? Does it, does it permeate us? Um, does it really get in and affect how we interact with people? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think if it if if it did, we our lives would probably be, be a little bit different. We'd be a little bit more gracious, a little more humble, a little more thankful, a little less anxious, right? A lot of a lot of these things um, w- would come out. So, how does the church treat one one another? How do we treat people outside the church? How do we think about lost people? Uh, there's there's a lot that we need to be reminded of. So, I think yeah. So, in isolation. Uh, the story of the thief on the cross. Like most Christians, people that have been around the, the church for a while could go through that story. But if you take, say, the thief on the cross, you get the sinful woman in Luke 7, you got Saul of Tarsus, you got the rich young ruler. Like you just take all these stories and you and you say, we're going to we're gonna binge watch the narratives of, of the Bible. And you just let the waves of grace just soak over you eventually you're overwhelmed and you just say, oh my goodness, I get it. It might be four stories. It might be 40 stories. But my goal in this was just basically, well, you're out there on the Cape just to sit in the waves, the waves of grace for hours and just just enjoy being washed over by the love and however long it takes to hopefully at some point realize that that this Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers because mm-hmm. he came came down for us. And so that's what, that's what I'm trying to do. I like that. And uh, that's something we try to emphasize all the time. We've got to linger a little bit longer at the foot of the cross. Mm-hmm. We've got to consider ourselves and our own need. You know, it's 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 very easy for us to get up from the cross and go on our way and, and carry it around our neck, but forget that we need to keep on going to the cross and repenting of our sins and acknowledging our own need for humility. Because ultimately, it's the gospel, it's the cross that's going to transform us to be able to see other people the way that God sees other people. That's right. Yeah, because it calibrates everything. I mean, so I, I think, like in our culture today, I mean, especially evangelical Christianity, is a bit of a celebrity issue, uh, especially in the West. 
Well, like you take a story, uh, Blind Bartimaeus, right? I mean, he's he's on the side of the road, and, and Mark makes that point that, you know, Jesus stops, right? So in, throughout the Gospel of Mark, he's always moving around everywhere fast. And here's the one guy who makes Jesus stop in his tracks. It's not the celebrity from the town. It's the guy begging on the side of the road who's crying out, Hosanna, son of David, have mercy on me. So it does seem that Jesus' eyes are attracted to people in a way that we might not be. And so we might actually be prizing the wrong thing and not prizing the thing that Jesus prizes. So these are just ways for us to see Christ and see his eyes and what he prizes. And I think it, it's, it's useful for us to remember as, as Christians. We're in the process of studying through the book of Galatians, and it's. I think it's easy for us to look at this and say, how could they have been so f- foolish? We can be astonished like Paul was, astonished that they were so quick to forfeit the gospel, but this is ultimately the crux of it, right? We, we fail to see ourselves as recipients of a gospel of grace and start to measure our own self-righteousness against the righteousness of others. And that causes a lot of great division that uh, separates us from the people that are, quite honestly, just in, as needy of the gospel as we are. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, we take our eyes off Christ, and you know, you, you start adding to him or taking away from him, and it causes a, causes big problems. And then, what are you left with? You don't have grace. You end you're ending up in some type of um, arms race for righteousness. And that always leads to the flesh. It always drives to the flesh, which then becomes it, this big cycle of trying to get more, get a leg up. And, and in order to do that, you have to push other people down. You're always comparing, uh, and it's 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 not the pattern of the gospel. Paul was in labor until Christ was formed in them, mm-hmm. not until Paul was formed in them or anybody else. And so that's, I think, Galatians is a great picture of how quickly people can get distracted away from Christ and how urgent the matter is, right? Paul was beside himself um, for what was going on there. Mm. So this book is really about us seeing ourselves as these people that Christ is not ashamed of us. It's very evangelistic in that way. I think it has this component of reminding us that God loves us and sent his son to be the savior of the world, even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But there's also this other component that we've been talking about, this component that it really shows us that if that's the case, that should affect how we relate to other people. Uh, It's actually a very convicting uh, statement as well. That's right. Yeah, so like in Philippians 2, where Paul tells us to consider others as more important than ourselves, he grounds that call to humility out of Christ and the incarnation, where Jesus, in being in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but, but emptied himself. He became a servant. And that descent all goes all the way down to the cross and to the grave before the exaltation. So if we're going to follow the pattern of Jesus, we have to learn to to humble ourselves and 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 serve others and that's that's just Christ's pattern that exaltation comes after humiliation and so in the church that's the pattern it should be we should be wearing the apron of service and look at other people as opportunities to serve and not as opportunities to serve us and it's completely backwards so hopefully looking through Jesus eyes helps us to see that yeah i like that double kind of component where it's also a real encouragement to us as well that this is the the love that Christ has demonstrated towards us. Uh, without that, without uh, you know, as John talks about in his letters, without knowing that we were first loved by God, it's really impossible for us to to love others. It really has to start here 
correct? We, we have to start by considering how Christ loved us if we want to move on and love our neighbors as, uh, as ourselves. Right, because I mean, that's, that's the leveling point, and you know that type of love that he has for us is a, it's an intimate, all-knowing love, so he knows all of our sin, shortcomings, and then it's infinite, it's complete, and without any bounds on it. So we're talking about there a comprehensive knowing of our own sin and personhood, and then also this infinite, unrestrained love, so now you're free to love other people in a way that you have no lack and so you're able to, to just give yourself to serving and loving other people, which is, again, the, c- tremendously liberating. Mm. Right? And it's something that you do so well, because these stories really capture the embodiment of the gospel. It'd be one thing to just write out, this is the gospel, this is doctrine, this is theology. You, you mentioned that you really enjoy systematic theology and pulling out those threads. But to actually look and see how Jesus did this, it really puts it in a real-world perspective to see that the gospel is not just something that saves us, it's also something that constructs how we ought to live our lives. Yeah, that's absolutely right. It, it has it has some handles on it where we can grab on and, and take it into our relationships with with all kinds of people because we're going to be we're going to be running into, you know, whether it's the the rich young ruler or you're going to run into the Samaritan woman or you're going to you know you're going to run into, um, you know the the sinful woman in this in Luke seven or you got uh, somebody who is maybe very weak um, spiritually heavy temptations or you're going to run into someone who's weak physically you're like how how do you relate to them the first question shouldn't be like what 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 do they want although that might be a, a question to ask at some point but the question should be like how, how does jesus treat people like this how does jesus treat me how would jesus interact with this person and the the book is attempting to give us a catalog of the types of stories that we can draw from and say, oh, that's how he treated this person here. Well, this is this is the way I should do it. And this is the right way to handle it. And it demonstrates his love. Now, you constructed the book in a unique way, and you have all these positive ways in which uh, uh, God is not ashamed of us, that Christ is not ashamed of us. But then you have then this kind of like uh, post-section, uh, this last chapter here, you ask the question, who is God actually ashamed of? Because we have to answer that, because otherwise we're left with a gospel where it's, you know, well, everyone gets a pass. Uh, you actually delve into that with a pretty clear and definitive answer. Right. It, if if you don't have that last chapter in there, I think it would be an incomplete picture of what the um, the New Testament or the all the scriptures present, right? So it basically becomes universalism that everybody everybody goes to heaven. Um, but Jesus is clear uh, that there is there is eternal judgment, there is hell, and that's what makes salvation so wonderful that He saves us from that. Uh, so the ones that Jesus would be ashamed of, actually, Jesus is saying He would be ashamed of those who are ashamed of Him, and I take that to mean those who ultimately and finally reject Him. Doesn't mean that they never have been ashamed of them of him in, in their life. I don't think that's what he means. But those whose lives are characterized by and basically show themselves to be people who reject Christ. They don't think his word is true and worth submitting to. They don't think his worth is um, is sub- built heavy enough, weighty enough for them to submit their lives to and live for. And they don't think uh, the, the the way he acts, the way he treats people, is something they really want to be all that impressed with. They don't want to. They don't want to make him their savior and their lord. And so, at the end of the day, those who reject Christ 
are those who are ashamed of Christ, and Christ says he'll be ashamed of them on the last day. So that's a sobering word, uh, I think, for, for all who would consider the claims of Jesus. Hmm. And it's also a, a robust gospel, because what you're presenting here in the book is that he's not ashamed of us. It's a real hope. It's a good news. But it's also a message of love that God doesn't leave us where we're at. He doesn't just hang out with us in, in the situations, in the muck and the mire. He calls us out of that. It's not about just accepting us as we are. It's really about um, recreating us and to, to sanctify us by his grace. Absolutely. That same, I mean, that same powerful grace that saves us also works in sanctification in our lives. And so we continually be conformed to his image as we're made like him. So that's the power of the Spirit. And Jesus promises it's better that he goes, that he's able to send the Spirit. And so he sends the Spirit to indwell his people. And then the Spirit is progressively making us into that very image of Jesus, uh, that holiness from which we were apprehended uh, initially in conversion, so positionally holy and then practically being made holy. That's the power of Christ in the gospel, working through the Spirit. Mm. Yeah. For, for anyone who's listening and and they're struggling with this whole idea, uh, as you mentioned in your own story, your own testimony, that you struggled with the fact that Christ could love you because of your sin and your own perception of yourself. For any of our listeners who have that point of view, that they're feeling that there's no way God would want anything to do with them. What would you have to say to them? Yeah, I think, I think on one hand, it being aware of your sin is is grace. Be able to mm. see that you sin because there's a, a lot of people that run around in the world that are under the presumption that they don't have to worry about sin. It's just like it's fine. And so to actually be conscious of sin and saying I've offended a God, a holy God, and I I have a problem on my hands. Is actually a good start. It's not where you want to stay, but it's where you want to want to start. And then what I would say would be that to look at a person like the Apostle Paul, who uh, was before his conversion was was a very bad man. I mean, he was he was self righteous, but he was bad. I mean, he was uh, presiding over an execution of Christians. He was actually on his way to arrest more Christians and and do them great harm. He wanted to completely stomp out Christianity, and he would do any means to do that. And the Apostle Paul says in First Timothy that the, the Lord saved him, and one of the reasons he didn't save him was to show that he is an example of the type of people that God can save. Uh, it's, he actually says that it was, it was to demonstrate his great patience mm -hmm. and his mercy, that the Apostle Paul is what he says, the chief of sinners. So if we align up all the sinners and, and, and weigh them based upon the the weightiness of their sin, how bad of a sinner they are. The Apostle Paul would said, I'd be at the front of the line. I'd be the chief. I'd be the head sinner. And Jesus saved him, the head sinner, so that we could look at him and say, oh, look, I'm bad, but I'm not, I don't think I'm as bad as this guy. This guy's at the head of the line. And uh, so these are the types of people that Jesus saved. So none of us are so good that we don't need saving, but none of us are so bad that we can't be saved from our sin if we believe in Jesus Christ. That's, that's how amazing the gospel is. So if you feel a sense of your sin, praise God for guilt over sin, but don't let the guilt stay there. Let the guilt drive you to Christ, the one who willingly took our guilt on the cross. So if you turn from your sin and trust in him, uh, you, you'll be numbered with those who were formerly great sinners, but now know an even greater Savior. Mm. I love that 
whole component where you're talking about the testimony of Paul. He uses that in our we're right now in the study of Galatians. He uses that as a as a, a an examination point. He says, if I was saved by grace, having done all these things as a as a Pharisee, and then he uses that as a catalyst to confront Peter, who was this high apostle who spent all these years with Jesus to say, this is the grace by which we're saved. I was saved by this grace. Peter was saved by that same grace. And that is what is so important that we guard that message of the gospel. For anyone who's listening, like myself, who kind of grew up with this, and sometimes we have this tendency of looking down our noses at people that have come in the, into the faith by different means than having been raised in the church. Uh, what kind of advice do you have for us to examine ourselves, to understand what Paul is saying, but what you're saying in this book as well? Yeah, I think Pete is a great example because, I mean, while he was with Jesus and during his earthly ministry and, you know, he was, sees the risen Lord and the leader of the apostles, I mean, he does, he does trip and fall in Galatians 2, right? I mean, you, you have that situation where he, the apostle Paul says he's not being straightforward about the truth of the gospel. So it's, it's very easy for us to, to forget the, the gospel, even misunderstand some things about the way the gospel works, and we can find ourselves being judgmental and looking down our noses at other people, I'm not as bad as this one or whatever. And when we do that, uh, we make ourselves a standard and we belittle other people. And we don't realize it, but we're actually diminishing the work of Christ, Mm -hmm. as if somehow um, righteousness could be attained by law-keeping, whatever that is, maybe just be as good as I am, then you could be righteous. That has nothing to do with it. And, and Paul says in Galatians 2.16, if that was the case, if righteousness comes from the law, then Christ died needlessly. Yep. Well, we'd be actually saying that if this person was only as good as me, then, you know, we don't we don't need a full gospel. How ridiculous is that, right, to say that Christ died needlessly? So I think it's really important to keep the, the knowledge of our sin and the knowledge of Christ's uh, death and his sin-defeating death before our eyes and understand we we need a savior just like christ to save us so we look at one another in the church we can be reminded that we 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 all come in through the same same threshold into the church we come in it's a very low bar we have to humble ourselves and get under that thing and confess our sin admit that christ is the only way we cling to him and you're in the church you're part of his family that humility is to be the posture because we recognize that's the only way you get in is by confessing your sin and recognizing your loneliness. Hmm. This is such a great reminder and one that uh, it's so easy to lose sight of if we don't hold it before ourselves every single day, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So, Eric, could I ask you for our listeners to pray for them, to encourage them in this gospel message, that they, they would always have it in front of them so that they would not lose sight of the love that God has for them? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Adam. Our Father, we, we do thank you for the truth of the gospel. Thank you that the, this is not um, a myth. This is not something that we just we would hope to be true, but we know it is true. And you have furnished proof by raising Christ from the dead that Christ is the Savior and that He his death paid for all of his people's sins and that whoever would trust in him, uh, whoever would believe in Christ will be forgiven of their sins and granted his righteousness and everlasting life. I pray for those who would be listening that might be struggling to believe that truth, to believe that you would forgive such a, a one such as them. I pray that you would remind them and refresh them with the narratives of Christ's life and his work 
uh, show them just what a Savior he is, to show us your heart and how you love to save sinners, to make trophies of grace, to show how great of a Savior Christ is. I pray that you would console and refresh and even convict us of, of ways in which we forget the gospel by reminding us of its vividness, its beauty, its power, and the glory of Christ. Lord, we thank you that Christ is a great Savior, one that can could, could even satisfy the debt that I would need for my own sins. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. We've been talking with Eric Raymond, who is the author of He Is Not Ashamed, The Staggering Love of Christ for His People. It's a great resource, and you could probably tell just by listening to his accent that Eric is from around here. He is a New Englander. You can tell with that thick uh, Boston accent. We love it. Uh, Great reminder that uh, this is a mission field that God loves the people of New England, and this is a great resource. If you want to find out more information, just reach out to us. We'll, We'll even have a few copies available for you. So, Eric, once again, thank you so much for being a part of the many voices for that one message. Oh, you bet, Adam. It's my pleasure. Thank you.